Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Let's jump into the last week of Thriving in Babylon. You guys ready? Yeah, some of you. It's been a fun series. Um, I've learned a lot in this series. So we're taking a look, and if you're just joining us, let me just do a quick recap. We're taking a look at the book of Daniel, where Daniel and his three friends and really the whole nation of Israel were taken captive um, by this Babylonian nation. And we know that Babylon is no longer a nation, but there is this Babylonian mentality, mindset, attitude, spirit actually that's at work behind the scene within the world with the main goal of elevating itself. And whenever we elevate ourselves, what we are doing is we are lowering God. And culture, it's not just American culture, it's all across the world. This, this spirit is at work turning people away from the things of God. And we see King Nebuchadnezzar early on trying to get Daniel. They changed his name, changed his friends' names, tried to get them to eat from the king's table, which was against um, his really, not just the rules of his religion, but his relationship with his God. And as our culture changes and tries to pull us into it, out of God's kingdom into this earthly kingdom, you know, we have to know who we are. They tried to change Daniel's name. They tried to change his friend's name. So you and I, we have to know who we are. The world will try to label us, um, will try to name us. The world will try to tame us. And we have to know where we stand. Um, And we have to stand there once we know. And then we not only know who we are, but we have to know whose we are. Okay? Um, You may love your spouse, but you're not your spouse's, right? Um, Kids, you may love your parents, but you're not your parents' kids. You kind of are, but ultimately you belong to God, right? We have to understand that whose we are. We are God's, and we live in accordance with that. Um, We live a life of, of humility. Daniel and his friends were humble, which opened the door for them to be able to be honest. And as they were honest with kings and leaders, they were also honoring of those. And we saw, like, that's hard. And I I made the mention three weeks ago, we can honor the leadership and authority without surrendering our allegiance to the kingdom of God. And so many times we think, I can't honor because if I honor, then I'm surrendering my allegiance. The best thing that we can do to bring God glory at times is to honor because scripture says to honor those who are in leadership because guess who put them there? God put them there. And then last week, we looked at the one stabilizing catalyst changer that that Daniel stood on and his friends stood on was prayer. And so we have to walk out, not just have a habit of prayer, but it has to go beyond a habit. It has to become a lifestyle. And that it's prayer that not just changes circumstances around us, but it changes and it strengthens us. And we saw from the book of Daniel in the lion's den, 
Prayer can also shut the mouth of lions. And so this week, I'm gonna wrap up the series looking at the last several chapters, the last five chapters of the book of Daniel. The first six are kind of his diary of, of, of what happened, what he experienced. Going into Babylon, he was a teenager. When he was thrown into the lion's den, he was around 70 years old at this point. And so as he's getting these visions... Early on in, in his captivity, he was interpreting king's visions, the other king's visions. Now he is receiving visions and dreams of his own, and, and they all deal with the end time. And so I titled this message called In the End. And as soon as I said that, I thought of the Lincoln Park song. Anybody? It's like, in the end, it doesn't really matter. But it does matter, right? It does matter because Jesus is coming back in the end and we need to be ready. And so let's look here at Daniel chapter 8, verse 17. Um, this is after Daniel has had one of his visions and the angel Gabriel approaches him to give him some instruction an interpretation of it. And he says, Gabriel approached the place where I was standing and I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. And he says, son of man, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. And so for the next four chapters, Daniel has these visions and these interpretations and they relate to the time of the end. Now I want to I want to preface by letting you guys know there's going to be a lot of scripture today. So you guys ready for that? Uh, because when, when you're preaching an end time message, people can have a lot of opinions about what the end time is going to be like. Those of us that remember like Y2K, the world was ending and all these prophets had these ideas of how the world was going to end and what was going to take place. Guys, we're 22, almost 23 years past that and I'm still standing stronger than I ever did, right? Living like a little kid. Just kidding. All right, don't go there. All right, so there's going to be lots, lots of scripture. Um, Daniel's visions though were so crucial that they were repeated and they were passed on and, and just crucial to the um, Hebraic culture that even when Jesus is talking about the end times with his disciples, he relates back to Daniel's visions. And so we're gonna jump to Matthew 24. And this is, we're gonna read several passages of scripture here and just kind of break them down. I'm gonna step through this, okay? Um, so make sure you're taking notes. I don't, you guys have heard me say this, don't take my word for it. Go back and read it for yourself. But we're gonna look at passages three through 15. And Jesus is leaving the city. And as he's leaving the city, he's telling the disciples, everything that you see, the buildings that you see in the temple, everything's gonna be just torn down to where even stones are not on top of each other. And then later, we'll pick up in verse three on the screen. It says, later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. So he's sitting there, his disciples came to him privately and said, listen, tell us, tell us when will all of this happen? What signs, what signals, what clues do we need to look for for your return and the end of the world? Because Jesus's return is associated with the end of the world. Look, he's, he's gonna come back. He's gonna make all things new. All the old is gone. All things are made new. And so they're saying, hey, help us understand when this is going to happen. And Jesus tells them, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah. We've seen that throughout history already. We've also seen people proclaim that they know like the day and the hour and the time that Jesus is coming back. All of those times have came and gone. And there's also individuals that have those days and times projected for the future 
future. Here's what I believe. Those days and times, guess what's going to happen? They're going to come and they're going to go just like everything else. And so Jesus says, don't let anyone mislead you. And then he goes on and he talks about what's going to happen is there's, there's going to be wars. We've seen that, right? From like the Civil War, World War One, World War II, like even now with the war in Ukraine, there's wars. And he says, not even wars, but there's also going to be what? Rumors of wars. Like people are just going to talk about fighting. And he said, there's going to be earthquakes. There's like, I remember, and this is dating me, like I remember in the 80s, um, late 80s, early 90s, when the Dodgers and the A's were in the World Series and it was like the massive earthquake. And I was like, all right, the world's ending like at this point in the middle of the World Series. Jesus, could you not have waited till the World Series was over? But there's gonna be famine all over the world and we see this already taking place. So some of this is already being fulfilled. Now we can freak out, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says this. He says, don't worry, it must happen. Don't panic. He says, these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. So we can see all of this. We're seeing a lot of this already fulfilled, has already been fulfilled and currently being fulfilled. And this is what he says in verse eight. He says, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. And those of you who have, who have had children, ladies, and those of you who are expecting, you know, like sometimes contractions can last for a few hours before the child's born, or maybe even days. I see some moms like, you have no idea, right? And then there's like this Braxton Hicks that can last like months before the baby's born. And then like mom and dad start nesting. And, and like, that's all just the beginning. And Jesus says, when you start hearing all this and you start seeing all this, get ready, but it still ain't time yet. There's still more to come. And he tell, goes on to tell him, he says, look, you're going to be persecuted as disciples. Um, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be killed. There's even going to be some of you who are going to fall away. You're going to betray me. And then he says this in verse 12, it'll be on the screen. He says, sin will run rampant everywhere and love of many will grow cold. And if you, if you look at culture today, and like I'm never one of those doomsday is like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, like not that guy. But, but if you look at culture today, I would say that sin is running rampant. And it's not even just running rampant, it's glorified. And not even just glorified, like we try to get it legalized and justified and protected, right? And it says that the love of many will grow cold. And he's talking to those who are following him. And if you look at what has taken place over the last couple of years within the church, and I know we've had this great resignation within the workplace, but I would say we've also had a great resignation within the faith. Would you agree? And we've seen a lot of that happen post-COVID. And I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. COVID didn't start it people's hearts were already growing cold and church attendance, I don't even like that term, church engagement, involvement, church commitment, connection was already slowly fading within their hearts. COVID just gave us an excuse not to come back. And so we're seeing this happen. Sin will run rampant. The love of many will grow cold. Uh, verse 13 it says, but the one who endures, you guys are here, so you're enduring, to the end will be saved. We haven't got to the end yet, so there's still more enduring to go, right? He says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations and people groups will hear it, and then 
the end will come. And let me just kind of spend a moment on this. If you look at the population of the world, when I first got into ministry and we would do our membership class in Adamsville and we would talk about evangelism and, you know, the, the, the 2080 or 80-20 window, 40-20 window is like the most unreached area. At that time, when I was preaching and, and talking about that, there were about 6 million people, 6 billion, sorry, billion, 6 billion people on earth. Now, fast forward 15 or 20 years, and we're looking at 7.9 billion people. And most of those are popping up here in Murfreesboro, right? <laughs> most of those, we got at least like a half a billion in Murfreesboro, right? But, but the world is growing, not as fast as it once was, but it's still growing. And, it's, and scripture's saying that, that the end won't come until all the nations have been reached with the gospel. And, and that doesn't mean like, like France, and it doesn't mean those nations. It means people group. That's what the word there means. That once all the people groups have been reached, and then the end will come. And so, doing some research this week, most believe there's about seventeen thousand five hundred or so people groups within the world. Now we're talking like, you know, in the back hills of Virginia and South America and Africa and you know the Middle East and Asia. That there are still groups seventeen thousand. 500 people groups within the world. Um, within that, there are still, statistically, it's kind of hard to measure, they say there's about 7,000 people groups that have not been reached. So we still have some work to do, right, in order for the Lord to come back. But what has taken place over the last, you know, several decades is that is being sped up with technology, like used to be in like the, you know, the early 1900s, even predating that, you had to smuggle Bibles into the country and, you know, you were going by horseback or ship or whatever. Now, now like through technology and satellites and we're able to get the gospel into places that it could never be reached on a consistent basis. As a matter of fact, we all have a phone, right? And probably most of us within this, within this room have downloaded a Bible app of some kind on our phone. The YouVersion Bible app in the last, I think it's 15 years it's been around, has been downloaded over 500,000 times worldwide. Almost like, it's closer to like 600,000. And so the gospel is being spread at a much faster rate. So guess what that means we're getting closer to? The end time, right? And then he says this in verse 15, and this is where we'll jump back into Daniel. It says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. He says, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Some of your translations may say the abomination of desolation. And it's saying there's this object that's gonna be set up in the holy place. And he says, this is when we really need to start paying attention because what does he say? He says, reader, pay attention. Reader, pay attention. Now, when we're looking at all of Daniel's visions, we're not going to look at everything because a lot of it is already passed. It's, it's, it's visions about, you know, four beasts and horns that go crazy and a goat and a ram and rulers. And what that is, is it's, it's prophecies of, of nations and rulers rising and falling, rising and falling, rising and falling. And he even, he even prophesies and predicts rulers like Alexander the Great, who conquered the whole known world at one point got to the end and, and sat down and wept because there was nothing else for him to conquer. Daniel sees all of this. And so now let's go to Daniel chapter nine. And um, I want to give us some clues. 
I don't want you walk out of here looking at your planner on your Google Calendar, Apple Calendar, and, and penciling in the end of the world, okay? I don't want you having a checklist of things that you're looking for, and I don't want to traumatize you or freak you out, but I do want to give us some wisdom, some things that I want us to know, as I believe, honestly, my wife way more than me, but as I believe, we're getting closer to the end times, right? We just see it. And so Daniel, we see this in chapter nine. And this is after he's had one of the visions and and an angel comes to give him interpretation. In verse 24, you guys ready? This is gonna be a lot of scripture. You guys ready? Take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. It says a period of 70 sets of seven. 70 sets of seven. And so he's saying there's 70 sets of seven. We're gonna do some multiplication. You guys ready? You good for that? And seven, some of your translations may say 70 weeks. And a week is seven days. It's the, you know, seven in the Hebrew culture is the number of completion. And so there's 70 sets of seven leading to what? Completion. And so these 70 sets of seven stands for seven years. So 70 sets of seven years, we're looking at how many years? 70 sets of seven, 70 times seven is? You guys sound as sure as I did when I was saying, right? 490 years. And so, so Daniel is receiving this vision for 490 years. And it says, it's been decreed for your people, not Americans, but for the children of Israel. He's speaking to them for your people and your holy city for some things to take place over this 490 years. And he goes through and lists. He says, to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, which he's receiving, and to anoint the most holy place. And then verse 25, we see the same thing that Jesus said. Now, listen and understand. He says, reader, pay attention. Here he's saying, now listen and understand. All right, this word's gonna be a little confusing. We'll walk slow. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. So he's breaking it down. So this is, this is about 434 years total. Say so we'll pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. So at this point, Jerusalem and the temple and the walls have fallen. And he's saying there's gonna be seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven. You guys with me? Until that decree is made, until this is fulfilled. And this is what's gonna happen. Um, until the time for the command to rebuild Jerusalem, until a ruler, the anointed one. Who's the anointed one? Jesus. It's that Sunday school answer. You think it's the answer, but you're afraid to say it too loud in case it's not, right? The anointed one comes and says, Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite perilous times. So at this point in the writing... Um, as Daniel is receiving this, Jerusalem is no longer, it's been destroyed. And so you can actually go and read, if you want to read in chronological order, Jerusalem and the temple and the walls being rebuilt in Nehemiah and Ezra and in Haggai and a couple other books. It says, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. After 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. 
appearing to have accomplished nothing. And now those of us who understand Jesus' crucifixion, this begins to make sense for us looking back. But this is Daniel, the first time hearing this. He says, the anointing one will be, anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. It says, a ruler will rise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. Not just the first time, but again. And this actually takes place in AD 70 when they come in and they destroy Jerusalem. Rome comes in and seizes Jerusalem and destroys the temple and the city again. It says, the end will come with a flood and a war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will rise up, will make a treaty. All right, I'm slow down. Will make a treaty with the people, talking about the people of Israel, for a period of one set of seven, which is seven years. But after half of that time, so three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And so what's going to happen at the beginning of this, of this last set of seven, there will be a ruler rise up. The Antichrist won't seem like it. He'll seem like a nice guy for the people of Israel. And he will create a treaty with them to allow them to... Um, reinstate the animal sacrifices that they've not been able to conduct since AD 70. So for centuries and millennials now, they've not been able to conduct the sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament. And so someone is going to come and reinstate that, make a treaty with them. Then halfway through, three and a half years through that, he's going to put a stop to it. And he's going to set up this, this sacrilegious item within the holy place. Now, we don't know. I don't know whether this is going to be an altar that's created or the temple is actually rebuilt. There's actually plans and works and organizations that are trying to get this third temple rebuilt. The second temple, way back then, took seven years to rebuild. How long do you think it would take now for it to be rebuilt? Probably not seven years. The problem, though, is that right now there is an Islamic shrine on the Temple Mount where the temple was. And so it could be the temple being rebuilt. It could be an altar. But at some point, these sacrifices will start back and then they will end. And that's where Jesus even says, this is where we need to pay attention. And he says, as a climax to these terrible deeds, he will set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration the abomination of desolation until the fate is decreed for the defiler is finally poured out on him. All right, let's pray and go home. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's a lot. It's a lot. Let me give you the cliff notes. Um, And there's even a cliff notes of the cliff notes called Felix notes, right? If you remember those, it's like even a shorter version. So what we're seeing here to break down kind of understanding this 70 sets of seven 490 years of prophecy, Daniel saw saw it all. From then, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple, the rise and the fall of, of Babylon and the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Romans. He saw it all, even saw Jesus. Now look, um, seven times seven is 49 years. So that's the seven sets of seven. It was actually 49 years pretty much to the season from the moment where the decree was made for Jerusalem and the walls to be rebuilt till its completion, okay? That was fulfilled according to what he saw. 
And then we see 62 sets of seven. That's 434 years. It was 434 years from the time the decree was made and Nehemiah left out to go start rebuilding the walls in the city. It was 434 years from that moment to where the Holy One, where Jesus was crucified. So we look now, we have 69 of those seven sets that have been fulfilled. That leaves one set left to be fulfilled. So there are seven years of prophecy that Daniel saw that has not been fulfilled. And in the church world, a lot of times we refer to those to the seven years of what? Tribulation. And it's, you know, churches and, and pastors and prophets, they can get way out in left field with that, right? We've, you know, that's, those are the things that we go and watch really late at night when we don't have anything else to do. And it's just like ridiculous stuff, right? We're not going to go ridiculous, but we do have to be mindful and wise as Daniel hears the archangel say, we have to be wise. Let's look at the last chapter, okay? This is at the time, Michael, talking about when this time comes, at, when this time comes and this leader is, is raised up in power and we start this last set of seven, these last seven years, he's going to rise up and stands guard over your nation. Let me, we're in America but this isn't referring to America, okay? God bless America, but this is referring to the children and the nation of Israel. So the archangel is gonna rise up and stand over Israel. He's gonna stand guard over your nation. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose names are written in the book, guess what book he's referring to? the Lamb's book of life. So everyone whose name is written in that book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. I don't wanna be around when that happens, right? Some of the everlasting, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. And so what he's saying is like, there's gonna be a time of judgment. We read about that even in the book of Revelation, that there is gonna be a time of judgment based on what we did not just in our life, but what we did with Jesus, how we responded to him. And it says that those who are wise will shine bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. So those of us who have been living wisely, we're gonna shine bright. But then there's also those of us who are leading others. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be leading others into righteousness. When we do that, it says that we will shine as well. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret. Shh. Look at your neighbors. Shh. Just kidding, just trying to break the ice. <laughs> Seal up the book until the end of time when many will rush here and there and knowledge will increase. Keep it a secret until everyone's rushing here and there and knowledge will increase. Guys, let's, let's just look at our moment in time now. Would you say that people are traveling here and there way more than they were even five years ago? Like if you think about a century ago, how long it took to get to the other side of the country, like it would take days, weeks, you know, now we can get to the other side of the world in 24 to 36 hours. 
You know, when I went to Africa a couple of times, it took us like 27 hours to get there. It was the longest day in my life. At one point, the sun was up on one side of the plane and it was dark on the other side of the plane. I was in two days at the same time, I felt like. But we're moving so quickly and can go wherever we want, whenever we want. And he also says this end will come when knowledge increases. The first time wisdom, knowledge, the first time information doubled, was somewhere around the 1950s. Now, the amount of information that we know as a race doubles every 18 to 24 months. So think about all the things that are known on Wikipedia and WebMD, right? Because <laughs> that's all true stuff. Just kidding. But think about all the information that we have in 18 to 24 months, that's gonna be doubled. And think about when that doubles. When you double a double, that's a lot. And that's the speed at which we're moving in right now. And so I, let's, let's look at this last seven. So we've got one set of seven. Seven years is gonna happen at some point. Things that are gonna take place, and we've all heard it, but Jesus spoke that there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. That's already taken place. Daniel is saying the Antichrist is gonna come and form a covenant with the children of Israel and the sacrifices are gonna start. So we need to be mindful if we see that. Then he's going to break the covenant at three and a half years. And, you know, it says there's going to be this time of great anguish. We see this in Daniel and even in Revelation that there is going to be great and heavy persecution, unlike anything we know in this world. We can already see it taking place some in the Middle East and, and other underdeveloped countries. And we see Christians being persecuted. And in America, we want to say we're being persecuted. Really, we're just being offended and we don't know how to handle it, right? We just need to pull up our pants and go to work, okay? We're not being arrested. We're not being beheaded. But that will come, right, at some point. And then Jesus will return either before or after or in between, whether you're you know, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I don't care. I just want to be in the first elevator, right? When, when the first one's going up, I want to be there. And then there's going to be the rapture that takes place. But when you, when, when you look at this, like this great anguish, and when I was going back and reading this, it reminded me of when I was in like middle school, my Sunday school teacher, for some reason, thought it would be great to teach through the book of Revelation. Um, and I'm just trying to make it through middle school. And we were talking about persecution and like they were trying to scare us. And I remember one of the things she said would happen when the persecution started is that if you did not renounce Jesus, that they would torture you, they would murder you, like they would like all these things. And one of the tactics she told us that they would use is, is they would take a slide and they would just line it with razor blades. And they would put a, I know, right? They would put a, a pool of alcohol at the bottom of the slide. And if you didn't denounce Jesus, they would push you down the slide and you would land in the alcohol and just burn. That's horrid, right? Like I'm trying to make it through sixth grade, seventh grade. Can you just give me some Jesus right now, right? And we get so caught up sometimes wanting to, but, but here's what, here's what the, the, the angel told, told Daniel. So Daniel chapter 12, verse eight, let's just keep reading. He says, I heard what you said, but I did not understand what he meant. So Daniel's just probably like the rest of you sitting here right now. Pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I have no idea what you mean. And so you got to picture Daniel like, it, like speaking to, this, to, to the archangel. And he says, I heard what he said, but I did not understand what he meant. So I asked, hey, my Lord, how will this all finally end? 
In verse nine, he says, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept a secret and is sealed until the end of time. So guys, as well as I tried to research the last week or so and present to you how theologians have interpreted this, it's still all a secret. And we won't fully know until we get there. It's like our kids in the back seat. Are we there yet? I'll tell you when we're there, right? When we stop, we're there, right? We don't know. And he says, I'm gonna keep it a secret until the end. He says, many will be purified, cleansed, refined by all of these trials. Purification and cleansing is not a bad thing. But these trials, for those of us who walk through it, there is a cleansing and a purification that will take place through it. And he says, but the wicked will continue in their wickedness and none of them will fully understand. Only those who are wise will understand what's taking place. Only those who are wise will know what it means. Verse 11, from the time of the daily sacrifices stopped and the sacrilegious object that we talked about earlier that causes desecration is set up to be worshiped, there'll be 1,290 days. That's exactly three and a half years. So from the time it starts until the time that it ends is gonna be three and a half years. And it says, those are blessed. Blessed are those who remain until the end. And this is where I'm gonna land in this, in this last passage of, of how the book ends. In verse 13, it says, as for you, <clears throat> as for you, Daniel, go your way until the end. And this promise that he gives Daniel is the same for you and I, for those of us who are in Christ. It says, you will rest and then at the end of your days, you will rise again and receive the inheritance that is set aside for you. Guys, there's an inheritance set aside for us greater than we could ever understand. You know, Paul says multiple times, he says, and this, this um, short and momentary suffering is nothing to the glory that we will see in the end. This light, excuse me, he says light. How many of you know, like some of the things we experience doesn't like, they don't feel very light. But everything that we experience on this earth is light and momentary in comparison to the great glory and inheritance that we receive then. A couple times in, in this chapter, he makes the statements. He says, those who are wise will shine like the stars and lead others to righteousness. And so church, those of us, like we have a responsibility to live wisely, but then also to lead others to righteousness. And he says, he says you will be purified and refined. But I love this statement. He says, as for you, Daniel, continue to go your own way. And you can read that, go your way until the end. You can read that and it was like, Daniel, do your own thing. From the first chapter as a teenager to where he's brought into captivity until now, has Daniel really went his own way? No, he's not went his own way. So the way that he has gone has been God's way. And he's saying, Daniel, until that end comes, you just keep doing what you're doing, following God, being obedient, knowing who you are, knowing where you're standing, knowing whose you are. Just keep going your own way. And so just to kind of look at, at giving us some wisdom. So if we were to take this book of Daniel that has all these vivid prophecies and crazy adventures and you know, that, that Veggie Tales made movies of and we had flannel graph stories of. If we were to wrap it all up and put a bow on it, what, what were some things that I would want us as a church, you as followers of Jesus to walk away with? Three things to help us walk in wisdom. The first is, look, to summarize it, follow God and not culture. Just, it's simple, 
But how many of you know the simple things are rarely easy? That's our faith walk. It's simple, but it's rarely easy. It says, follow God and not culture. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. Um, the reference is on your, on your screen. But this is, this is what Peter says. He says, look, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. So we're not gonna know. Like, we can have signs and we can kind of pay attention, but we're not going to know. Like, you don't know when a thief is going to break in. They don't text you to see when a good time is, right? They don't call to see when a good time is. They just show up. Jesus is not going to check and see when a good time for you is for him to show up. He's just going to show up on his time. It says, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found in to be found to deserve judgment. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, he makes this statement, what holy and godly lives should you live? So in response to everything that we know is gonna happen, is happening, could happen, what is our response to live holy and godly lives looking forward to the day of God's return and hurrying it along, like other translations say, speeding it up. How we live, think about this, how we live determines how quickly Jesus comes. And I know so many times on days we're like, Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? Well, we just got to live right. We got to continue to evangelize. We play a part and a role in that. But he says to live holy and godly lives. Doesn't say live perfect. And if you've attended Avenue Church for any length of time, that is one thing I hope you will always hear from whoever's on this stage or who you're with in your small group or in relationship with. He's not asking for perfection, but he is asking for holiness. And he even says multiple times, be holy as your father in heaven is holy. Holy means set apart. Guys, we should be set apart from culture. We should not be reflecting culture. We should be changing culture. And I'm not saying just, just as the church, but us as individuals. We should stand out, not because we're weird and freaky, but because we're making an impact and a difference. And we're walking and shining, as Daniel says, brighter than the lights, than the stars in heaven. Set the culture, not reflecting the culture. The second thing we need to do, guys, and we see Daniel doing this, is just make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. You know, David says at one point that our lives are like a hand breadth, like the width of our hand. And so if you look, you know, somewhere like, I got a big hand, I got a little hand, it makes me nervous, right? I'm six foot three with six, two and a half with a small hand. But if you look at your hand, you look at your hand and, and, and realize that in all of time, this is, this is the life that we have. And Paul says to make the most of every opportunity. He says it twice. He says it once in Ephesians. He says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And he says to live godly. But then he says it again in Colossians. He says, make the most of every opportunity and live wisely among those who are not believers. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So, so, so two reasons for us to make the most of every opportunity, to live godly for ourselves, to protect ourselves, but then also to live wisely for those around us who are not believers. Why? Because we're not to be impacted by culture, but we are to impact culture. And then lastly, Jesus says, look, just be ready for my return. 
be ready for Christ's return. Because he could come at any moment. And that's a very real thing that sometimes, I know me personally, like I will just go through my days as if they're never ending. But at some point there will come an end. And are we ready? Like with the weight of it, like, like are we ready? Are we prepared for when that comes? It's in this lifetime. I believe it could be very close, if not mine, my kids. Have we made the preparations? And the very next chapter, Matthew 25, after Jesus says, keep watch and in Matthew 24, the very next chapter in Matthew 25, he tells these three parables about what the kingdom is like. And he tells a story of, of some bridesmaids waiting for the groom to come. And they're waiting all night. He's never showing. He's running behind. And they had lamps with oil. And some of them kept, they had enough oil in their lamps. So their lamps stayed lit all night. They fell asleep. And the bridegroom came. Some woke up, their lights were out because they weren't prepared. So trying to hurry, trying to get everything together so they could catch up with the bridegroom. It's Jesus. When Jesus comes back, are we going to have everything prepared in our hearts and our homes? Or are we going to be trying to play catch up with him? And he goes on and he tells another, another parable that a master is going away and he leaves some responsibilities to the servants and he gives them money to invest and to take care of. Some invested it and doubled it. This one guy buried it and didn't do anything with it. Each one of us have been given responsibilities. And it says that, that the master came back unexpectedly and said, what have you done with what I gave you? And the ones who doubled and added value to what he gave them were rewarded. The one who did nothing was cast out. We've all been given responsibility, whether it's our family whether it's people God puts in our life that, that we're to introduce to him, and the church we're to evangelize to, to share Jesus with, to encourage, to speak life. What are we doing with that opportunity? Are we, are we preparing them? And then the last thing in, in Matthew 25, he tells the story of, of a master saying, when I, was, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you saw me. And the servants are like, when, like, when did we see you? We never saw you. And he says to some others, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't close me. And they were like, we, when did we see you? And the master said, when you did it to the least of one of these, you did it to me. It's for us as the church, when we serve those, we're not just serving them, we're serving him. And we're making ready the way for his return. And so are you prepared? Because that's what the end of Daniel is about, looking out and being prepared. Are you prepared in your heart? Are you prepared in your home? Is there some things that you need to take care of and get right? Are, are we allowing culture to influence us instead of influencing culture? I want us to stand strong as culture changes, but I also want us to love well because there are people that as we love them, they're experiencing love of Christ. Can we just pray for a moment? God, I am so thankful to live in the country that I live in, to live in the time that I live in. It's, it really is one of the best generations and best times to be alive with, with all the benefits and all the blessings and, and all the opportunities. 
But God, this culture is also more alluring and more captivating and more godless at times than what we could ever imagine. God, I pray that your people, that, that we would just ready ourselves. God, that we would guard our hearts against the work of the enemy. God, that we would be busy about the responsibilities that you've given us and not just staying safe, but in playing a role in saving culture around us. That we wouldn't be terrified and afraid of, of what's to come, but that your return is a great celebration. And that as we see these things start to, to play out, we know that the end is near that we don't wait to the last minute to make all the preparations, but we're doing it even now. And God, if there's anyone in this room today that does not have a relationship with you, or maybe they did at one point, but they've walked away for whatever reason, I pray that your spirit would draw them in this moment. That it's not my words, but it's your spirit working in their heart. God, that whatever guilt or shame they've been carrying around, they've been holding on to, trying to hide, trying to deal with, they just surrender it to you in this moment. Whatever sin is, is keeping them from you, they surrender to you in this moment because you have dealt with it on the cross. That redemption was made. So Father, just help us to stand strong and love well as we await your return, whenever that is. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. amen.